uh, decide to continue to remain in this location, which we've been for nine years, or we'll uh, be looking at another spot just down the road that we think uh, offers a lot. So I'll show you pictures and all that good stuff if you're if you're interested. That'll be this Wednesday night. But either way, be praying with us because uh, uh, I always like when you know when you can't decide between a chocolate pie and lemon meringue or something. Those are good decisions, right? So it's not deciding between, you know, or like a, this car I like and this car I like. They're both nice, right? So that kind of thing. This is not a, this is not a heavy thing. It was actually a blessing to talk about. So hopefully you're able to, uh, to join us this Wednesday night. Uh, with that, um, and we did have a big week. Uh, you know, the last couple of weeks have been big. You know, two attacks. Uh, you know, we've got the week before last, you know, people murdered in a church at a Bible study in a prayer meeting just because of the color of their skin, which obviously was a racist attack, but also attack on Jesus himself because we're his people. He said in uh, Acts chapter 9 when he's talking uh, to Paul, he said, why are you persecuting me? Jesus, Jesus personalized any attack on the church as an attack on him. And then any attack on the word of God, which we're seeing in our nation, is an attack on who? Christ himself. You can talk about anyone in the world, but you talk about the name of Jesus, everybody, unless you're using it as a swear word, then everybody doesn't care. You talk about it in a reverent way, hey, 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 you can talk about Buddha, you can talk about Muhammad, you can trash the Bible, but do not mention his name. So we, uh, we have um, a lot of pastors around the country, uh, many men that I respect changed their sermons today, many of them did. Um, uh, I have not, because I believe what the Lord put on my heart months ago is the perfect antidote. And that is people coming to Christ through salvation. Amen? Amen. As I mentioned, uh, uh, today I'm going to be sharing my testimony. I, I felt led to do this all the way back in January. And I reserved it for the month of June. If you're here today, God wants you to hear it. Uh, not because my testimony is anything special. Your testimony is just as important as my testimony. And maybe yours is way more interesting than mine. If you haven't used it lately, you probably need to because that is going to be more and more necessary as we get near the end. Your bright light will shine to say, here's what Jesus did for me. But I got an encouraging text this morning from, you know, we got saved in Florida. I'm going to go through that. I got an encouraging text, me and my wife both did, from someone in Florida uh, and she texted us this morning. She goes, I heard you're giving your testimony again this morning. I've heard it a number of times over my life. It's blessed me many times and has had a you know, huge impact on my life. And my prayer is that it will have a huge impact on those that hear it this morning. And I hope that it does. Again, your testimony should have an impact. Mine should have an impact. But all because God gets the glory. And I want to share that this morning. And I want to have you turn to a couple of passages that have been anchor passages in uh, in my life, since coming to salvation, the first one, if you turn to Proverbs chapter uh, 3, Proverbs chapter 3, and if you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5 first, 2 Corinthians 5, you will know this passage, verse 17. If you've been in the church any length of time, you'll probably uh, know it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and Proverbs chapter 3. I've got a couple others, but I'm not going to have you turn to all of them. I'll read the other ones for you. Otherwise, you'll have your fingers all over the place. Uh, so first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then in um, Proverbs chapter 3, a few years after being saved, these became my life verses. And then I've added several since. So now I have like a collection of life verses. I don't have just one. Even at the outset, I had two because it's verses 5 and 6. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. And then, I'll read a couple others that have had a profound impact uh, in my life. One that you hear me quote often, 2 Timothy 2.12, For I know whom I have believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Another one that's had a big impact on me in Titus, Titus chapter, um, Titus chapter uh, one, uh, verse. Let me get my place here. Uh, sorry, two verse eleven. Titus two eleven. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously. And godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the last place I'll read, in the book of Jude, you should love this one too. Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Isn't that great to know? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy... To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that uh, you would now speak first through your word, which we've heard in song and in worship, and now in just the reading of it. Lord, just your word is more powerful than anything I have to say. Anything I've ever experienced, your word is far, far greater. And Lord, we pray that you would just speak now by your Holy Spirit. You would touch each heart, each person here might have something different they need to hear. And Lord, I pray you take the same word and multiply it like fish and loaves for each person that needs it. And Lord, we would be ministered to. Maybe some would even come to know you as Lord and Savior today. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've titled uh, just, as I mentioned, I'm sharing my testimony. But I wanted to start with these verses. I've titled my testimony, it's more of a testimony than a message, the path of his grace. Because if you've been saved, you've been put on a path. Thy word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my what? Path. We've been put on a path. Everyone's on a path right now. Some are on a path to hell, but they don't know it. Remember I've said many times, all paths to hell don't say this way to hell. All paths to hell say this way to heaven or this way to fun. Or this way to, you know, uh, the greatest experience you've ever had. None of the paths to hell say this way to hell. It wouldn't be deceptive. Satan wouldn't be the great deceiver if he was telling everybody, I'm taking you to hell and you'll be there for all eternity in torment. He doesn't tell anyone that. He tells them, you're not going to worry about it. And even if there is such a place, you're going to have a blast there. A blast furnace, but not a blast. So I've titled uh, The Path of His Grace... 
And I'll just start from the beginning so you know a little bit about, uh, for those of you that are new or maybe you've uh, been here a long time and you wonder how the heck did you ever become a pastor, I don't know anything about what your background is or anything like that, you'll know a little bit more. Uh, I was born in 1969 in Annapolis, Maryland, two and a half hours up the road. Uh, my brother's still in love with crabs and Old Bay and all that good stuff, and uh, that's, we grew up right on the Chesapeake Bay. I was the middle fourth child of a family of seven. I was number four and seven. Actually, my mom, uh, my mom and dad got saved, I think, after my two oldest brother and sister. Uh, my parents were not saved when they uh, came, at, in, in, when they got married. Uh, then I had my older brother, my older sister, and then they got uh, saved. And so we were, I was raised effectively in a Christian home. Uh, my dad was, was an elder in, uh, in a small church there in Maryland. And I was the, uh, my parents actually, my mom prayed to have a son and that he would be dedicated to the Lord. And then we had three others after me, and they weren't near as important. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was, um, there were seven of us, and Montel's just as important. You know. My brother's here. So, um, Christian home. Living there in Maryland, we went to church on Sundays. I don't think we even had a Wednesday service. I don't remember that we did, but I know we went on Sundays. And, uh, but uh, sadly, um, when I was about 11, uh, my dad walked away from the Lord, uh, told my mom he didn't want to be married to him anymore. This is 25 years of marriage. They'd been married, and he married a different woman. Uh, now, when you're 11, you don't take that real well. So actually, this was quite... Uh, devastating to the entire family. Uh, I never stopped believing at all that the Bible was true, that God was who he said he was, that Jesus was who he said he was. I just lost interest. You know what I mean? I still believed it all was true, but I was a very angry. Matter of fact, I had a number of people that later in life told me, you were the angriest middle schooler I ever met. And so I, I didn't see myself that way, but apparently others did. I did get in a lot of trouble at school, uh, was at the principal's office for all kinds of offenses with other kids, with other, you know, just uh, was was in a lot of trouble uh, during those during those years. Um, my uh, my mom couldn't really handle me because uh, she was now on her own, and there was four of us. My older brother and sister was off away at college. Uh, my dad had been remarried; he was living in Richmond here, so I was sent here to Richmond. I was the only one to grow up with my dad and my stepmom. The rest of my brother and sister either were all part of the full family. Or they lived with my mom, and so I lived uh, here in Richmond. Uh, my dad decided, you know, he, he eventually came back to the Lord after remarrying. He decided the best way to kind of work with me is to put me in a Christian school. That didn't really work, um, because uh, all I did was find other ungodly kids that were just like me. And so I, I didn't really, I didn't follow the Lord or anything. Even though I'd asked, if I, I'd asked the Lord to be my Savior several times, but there had never been any change in my life. Uh, because remember, I had mostly disinterested, and even while I was in Christian school, you know, I, I loved basketball, I played basketball. Uh, because of that, sometimes Christian schools, uh, at least back in the day, uh, weren't the most effective at uh, having all the right structure in place. My coaches, I didn't even go to math classes and stuff. I'm not saying this is good, this is just the way it was. And, uh, and so things that I was supposed to be learning, I wasn't. Uh, my friends, uh, even there, were ungodly. Uh, about my 11th grade year, I didn't want to go to Christian school, and 
I gave my dad a hard enough time. He finally couldn't take listening to me anymore. He sent me to public school, and then I had even more fun there than I was already having and, and found even more ways uh, to, to be in sin and everything else. And, uh, uh, but then uh, because I had goofed off so much playing basketball and all this other stuff, I had classes that needed me to take, and I said, I'm not taking summer school. I was a real cocky, arrogant kid. Says, I'm not doing summer school, period. My brother was, was the principal uh, of a, a Christian school down in Florida. And so I said, uh, he said, well, we need a point guard. If you want to come live with me. Well, I didn't like living with my dad anyway, and I still didn't have a good relationship with him at all. So I said, sure, I'll go down there and live with him. He had another kid that, would, that he had taken in. Uh, and a lot of times Christian schools, they recruit and build nice little teams. And we played, when I was there, we played the number one ranked public school in the state and all kinds of stuff. So we, I said, sure, I, 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 was at, I was in summer basketball camp with Monica at the time. And so I said, yeah, I'll come, I'll leave. And so my senior year I finished uh, in Vera Beach, uh, Florida, uh, lived with my brother. And then after that, I came back to, uh, came back to Richmond uh, after my senior year. Uh, my dad said he'd help me with college. He tried again, the, 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 maybe the Christian environment will fix me. Because I didn't want, you know, he knew I had no love for the Lord. My life was about partying and friends and all this other stuff. And so he said, if you'll go to Liberty University for a year, I'll pay 75% or something. It was some percentage. And so I, I said, all right, I'll do that. Because I, I figured I needed to get an education. I went there for one year, had a B average. Never After like the first couple of weeks, they told you you had to go to chapel. I didn't said you had to go to the Bible studies. I didn't. Even the, even the RA counselor said, you know, that you'll be kicked out of here. I said, well, kick me out. So uh, they didn't, so I just kept going. I never would go to anything. I'd go on the weekends to visit my friends at the University of North Carolina or Radford or Longwood or Virginia Tech and all that stuff. So I never really did anything that they said you were supposed to do, but nobody kicked me out. And at the end of the year, I said I fulfilled my one year, and I told my dad I was done with that, and I've transferred to VCU. Christian environments, parents, don't save kids. Any man being Christ, he's what? A new creation. So I, uh, I did go to VCU, but then I, uh, then I failed out because I was doing too much. Uh, I, I had taken everything to another level, so then I failed out. But somewhere in that time, I met this at a party. I met, I was, I guess, a sophomore in college then or something. I met this beautiful woman up front here. And we started dating, and uh, we dated till she finished her senior year in high school. And, um, and my brother and I, we, my older brother uh, down in Florida, he was starting, uh, he had a business, that, a small business. He wanted me to uh, come and run it. He trusted me and, and thought I could come down there and run it. That ever, I did tell her I was going to move down there, so uh, that didn't work out. I came, I went down to Florida. Business thing didn't work out. I got into <laughs> bartending and surfing a lot because uh, I had done my senior year in Florida, as you, as you recall, and uh, was living in uh, an area near Port St. Lucie, Florida, uh, bartending, surfing, just hanging out. My wife had decided to go to college in Miami, she, so we were now two hours apart, and both of us live in South Florida. Uh, and after a year of that, I moved down uh, to Miami as well, and uh, I, I had been, been there long enough to get... Uh, state tuition for Florida. Once you live in a state for about a year, then you can actually get what's called in-state tuition. So I was living in Miami, Florida. She was living in Miami, Florida. She was going to school there at a private uh, university, a private college, and then on to a private university there. 
uh, in Florida. And, uh, and then I uh, went back to, I, I started to have some self-ambition, not, it wasn't right, the Lord. I even went back and took classes that I never took in high school to actually get all the kind of ground foundation I needed for college. And I still wasn't saved. I started uh, at Florida International University, which is a state university in Miami. It's kind of like if you're uh, familiar on the West Coast, like a San Diego State or here of a VCU. It's just a, uh, it's a state university. Today, it's, there's 50,000 students uh, attend FIU, uh, but 40,000 when I was there. And um, what, after kind of getting some of the ground foundation back, I had actually uh, started to do pretty well. I, I nailed a, uh, uh, an internship with the number one TV station there because I, I finally decided, decided to major in uh, broadcast journalism, uh, and I wanted to be on television, and I wanted to do broadcast journalism. Miami was a great market for it. Uh, I got an internship with Channel 7 News there. Shepard Smith, who's now on Fox, was there when I was there. Rick Sanchez, who went on MSNBC, was there. I mean, can go on down the list. Uh, my boss uh, went on to run Inside Edition. Uh, you remember that show? Some of you might remember that show. And so uh, I was doing an internship there. I also then got, and that was a paid internship. They actually uh, asked me to, to come on and start working full-time while I was still in college. But I hated the hours because it reminded me of bartending because you had to start 11 o'clock at night all the way till 8 in the morning. So I ended up quitting that. I ended up uh, doing an internship with Metro Day Government, which was at that time the third largest government in the southeast part of the United States. Worked in the communications department, public relations, all that stuff. Still while I was going to school. This was all, uh, so I was bartending, going to college, and doing internships for a TV station, then with the uh, communications department. Um, but then... After internships are good, by the way, because I found out I didn't like the hours of either of those, and I ended up centering more on a business background when it was all said and done. I said, eh, I, wanna, I don't want to do, I don't want to work for the government. I didn't want to work uh, for a TV station, even though the, the thought of uh, the salaries and TV and stuff appealed to me. It takes a long time to get to that level, and I didn't want to start out in like Bismarck, South Dakota, or wherever else you got to you got to move your way. Like that's the way you do in uh, a TV or radio. So. Uh, ended up finishing, um, uh, by the time I had changed majors like four times, my wife had finished her master's degree in human resources. <laughs> she was much more centered than me. I was like a ping pong ball. <laughs> uh, but uh, when I was centered, I would do pretty well. Uh, it was just getting me to center. And I think, again, uh, going back, there, there really is things in your past Divorce and things will have a ripple effect on your family for many years to come. And it's hopefully, uh, you're empathetic to people that you start to see that those things really do have some level of impact. But nevertheless, uh, you know, we were we were living in Miami there, and uh, my wife was working on her master's degree in uh, in, in in human resources, and I was trying to finally finish. Uh, I had enough credits for like three degrees, but nevertheless, because uh, I had been to enough universities at this point, and. Uh, Finally had settled on one thing, and, and actually it was funny, uh, God, a, a real God thing. When I finally graduated from FIU, I had one class remaining. This is how God works. I should come back to that because I got saved in between. Let me get to that. I'll come back to that. We were living there, and, and after when I was working for Metro-Dade government, Hurricane Andrew came through, and it actually leveled uh, the southern part from South Miami all the way down to Homestead, and I actually was 
uh, on task to go out and interview the police officers and uh, fire rescue and take pictures and all this kind of stuff. And we ended up moving. Our apartment was hit bad enough that the area was, we felt like we needed to move. So we moved up to Broward County. And we moved up to Broward County. Um, uh, we were living there and made some different friends and new friends. And uh, after we had been there uh, for a while, one, one of my friends who was an air traffic controller uh, started going to a Bible study. Now, I remember I grew up in church. I didn't want anything to do with church. Matter of fact, sometimes my dad would call me and say, hey, did you and Sarah find a church or anything like that? And I said, there's no Christians here. <laughs> That's what I would tell him about Miami. I said, trust me, there's no Christians in Miami. Because where I went, there was no Christians. And so as far as I was concerned, I really meant it too. I mean, I truly said, there's no Christians here. So I wouldn't go to church, and I didn't want anything to do with church, and I didn't, so, and, and my wife didn't have any interest one way or another, but we didn't go, and so I just felt that that was the case. But then I ran, apparently there was a church, uh, because he was going to a Bible study, and I said, where are, you, where are you taking this Bible study thing? And he's like, I'm at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And I said, what's interesting about that? And uh, he said, well, you might like it, there's 400 surfers there. Because it's a huge church. We don't even have 400 people in our church, but they had 400 surfers, uh, a club. And that's what happens when your church is like 15,000 people or so. I thought that was kind of cool. And so we, uh, we ended up going and visiting. And, and eventually, because our apartment was like, you ever remember that show from Southern California, Melrose Place? <laughs> that was our apartment complex. It really was that way. We had the bartender trying to finish college, me, we had guys that were bank vice presidents, we, had, we were all these different friends, and none of us were saved, and we were just having a good time, but, but this one guy, because he started going to Bible study, everyone's, oh, well, we'll go to a Bible study, so like you see at some larger coverage out, we had like a group of like 20 of us walk in, and we actually liked listening to Pastor Bob, even though none of us wanted to give our lives to Christ, but we liked hearing about the Bible, we liked hearing about the Word, so we'd leave there, and we'd have a party that night or something. And then we'd do it again the next Sunday. We'd do it again. And they were like, we'd keep going. And yet God was still probably do, doing a work. And then we'd get convicted and not go for months. It's like it didn't even happen. Then we'd come back. And that went on. And somewhere during that time, uh, uh, about if it, I, probably seven, eight months after we kind of went there off and on, my wife and I finally got married. We got married in May of 1994, and so we finally married, uh, you know, came to Christ, but that was an amazing day, and how it happened, just weeks before, uh, weeks before we came to Christ, uh, I actually was getting my hair cut, I've told some of you this before, I was getting my hair cut uh, around Easter, and the girl cutting my hair, blonde hair, big Jesus thing here, Jesus things on her wrist, Jesus, uh, it was like all these different necklaces with Jesus and doves and fish and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and she says, I don't usually say anything, and I could get fired for this. But God will not let me rest until I tell you, I think he's calling you. And, it's, and I said, really? <laughs> Where? And she goes, and I want to invite you to church. I said, where's the church? Remember, I had gone off and on. Now, Calvary Fort Lauderdale was a good 30 minutes from where we lived. She goes, I go to Calvary Fort Lauderdale. That was where the other guy had. And so 
Well, that's kind of coincidental. Uh, so we did go to the Easter. She goes, I want to invite you to the Easter service, which was at Lockhart Stadium. It was outdoors. So I went to the Easter service. We got really convicted and didn't get saved. We, we wouldn't go forward. Uh, and so then over the next couple of months, Easter was in like April or May, I can't remember. Over the next couple of months, we'd go like one out of every four Sundays, get convicted and not go. But we still liked hearing it. And when we would go, we always liked hearing Pastor Bob. And so did our friends. And so one Saturday night in June, we, were all, we all went over to this bar on Fort Lauderdale Beach called The Parrot. Open, open window kind of bar, breeze blowing in. And we closed that thing down at 2 in the morning, and that we went home, and, and, we, and here we are walking out, walking out of the bar, and we're asking, hey, is anyone going to church tomorrow? Literally. <laughs> and, and then one of our friends says, no, no, don't, walk, don't walk, bother going, Pastor Bob's out of town. And no one likes to hear this fill-in guy, so, so Pastor Bob's out of town, so we're like, okay, so yeah, we won't, be, we won't go tomorrow. So uh, we... Um, we head home, we get to bed at probably 3 in the morning, and I wake up wide awake at like, I don't know, 7 a.m. or something, four hours later, not feeling real good, head hurting, tired, and I said, I think we should go, to myself, I think we should go to church anyway. None of our friends were going to go, they had all determined that Pastor Bob wasn't there, we only go one out of every 10 Sundays or five or whatever it is anyway. But I felt the need to go. I didn't know why. I said, well, I think we should go. Sarah's sound asleep. I'm doing this. What are you doing? Let's go to church. What? Bob's not even there today. (laughs) I know, but something tells me we should probably go anyway. Maybe some fill-in guy will be okay, you know? Something tells me we should go. She, after a while, she finally said, all right, all right. She, she's feeling worse than me. She gets up, starts getting ready. We, we, we drive there, and now we're, we're going to be late, and if you're late at Calvary Fort Lauderdale, you are not getting in the main sanctuary. It's packed. So we, we're going to have to sit in the overflow room. Overflow room. I hate the overflow room. I either want a seat in the rain thing, or I'm not going kind of thing. <laughs> Remember, I'm not saved, and I'm cocky anyway. So, uh, so we, we pull into the parking lot. I pull in the park like I own the place. Assuming out of, there's, you know, it seats like 3,000 cars, I think there's going to be a space right up front for me. And lo and behold, there was. There was a space. If that was the door, there was a space, not a handicap. You had a handicap and one space, and I pulled right in like, like that was normal. It should have. It didn't dawn on to me later. I'm like, why would there even be a space right up front? But then, as we sat there, we realized that we were a solid ten minutes late, and that's okay on Calvary Chapel time normally, but not at a big one that's packed. So then I said, yeah, let's go to IHOP. Let's skip it all together. I'm not sitting in the overflow room. And she was fine with that too. Yeah, I need coffee too. So I'm about to back up, and one of the assistant pastors is standing behind my car. <laughs> And he walks up beside my car and he says, good morning. I roll down the window, uh, my black Jetta, and I look over at him and say, good morning. He says, y'all coming in? I said, nah. I said, "Uh, I don't want to sit in the overflow room. He goes, you're not sitting in the overflow room. Come on with me. And he, he just said it like that. And he happened to be, I guess, counseling on the other side of the campus and walked up the exact same time we pulled in the only parking spot out of like 3,000 spaces right up at the door and says, you're not going to the overflow room, you come with me. He walks us in and he tells the ushers, you find these two folks a seat 
a good seat up front. <laughs> so about seven rows from the front, seats about 3,000 people. There's two seats, two on the aisle. They put us on the seats of the aisle. So still, none of, this is, none of this is dawning on me as extraordinary or anything. I just kind of think it's a normal, you know, I'm in this blinded mode. And uh, so we're sitting there. Worship's about to finish up because we're now late enough that there's like one song left and it's closing. Bow your heads and we expect, the way it always worked is Bob would actually, at the last song, he would then be standing in the pulpit and you'd hear him pray. And I expected, all right, I'm going to hear Fidel or one of the other backup guys, uh, the assistant pastors, and, and all of a sudden Bob's voice is speaking. And he went and praying, he goes, I know, all of you thought I was in California this week. I was supposed to be in California this week, and here all the plans changed. So you get me today after all. So we had determined that he wasn't going to be there. Everyone thought he wasn't going to be there. And he begins to preach from Revelation chapter 3. Uh, I would that you were hot or cold, but I'll vomit you out of my mouth. And it was to, he was preaching a message to the lukewarm church. And I had asked Jesus to be my Savior many times in the past, but I really uh, knew that the Lord told me that day, you will not see me in eternity. But you can if you say yes to me today. And this is your last... I felt like the Lord was saying, this is your last chance, because you've had a lot of them. And I had blew them all off, blew many of them off. And my wife was sitting beside me, and I didn't know she was under heavy conviction. Remember, I drug her there that morning. And so I just had tears start coming down my face when he gives the altar call, and other people went, and I was, do I go, do I not go, do I go, do I not go? And I finally said, I don't care. I, everything, my whole life flashed from my eyes in seconds. I thought about, well, if I don't get to surf on Sundays, if I don't get to play volleyball on the beach on Sundays, don't get to barbecue on the, I don't care, Lord, you can have it all. When you're that age, you, you don't think about other things. You didn't think about 401K, you didn't think about any of that stuff, you just thought about the fun. That's all that was in my mind. And the Lord said, throw it all on the altar and get saved, have eternal life. So I, and then Sarah was praying uh, to God. She said, Lord, if this is something I need to do, she didn't know I was doing this, she said, is this something I need to give me a sign? At the second she said that, I said, I'm going forward. She goes, I am too. And we both went forward. We were like the 10th people out of like 25 that day. I wasn't the last, but I certainly wasn't the first either. <laughs> I was the middle. I'm always the middle. So I went, uh, so I went for, we went forward, and, and I, just, I just wept because, uh, you know, the Lord had uh, been so gracious and all those years of drawing me and and, uh, you know, you sometimes need to realize, when I first got to Miami years earlier, about five, six years earlier, I thought of myself, compared to everybody else, as a good guy. The longer I lived there, everything everybody else did, I did. All of it. And I realized that I wasn't a good guy. And God had really saved a wretch. You know, if you could sing Amazing Grace, I, you have to sometimes, God has to bring you to the place that you know you are a wretch. Even though I looked good on the outside, you know, I was in college, it was this, that, and the other, there was still a lot of other things that God says, yeah, but I know. We know, right? And so when I gave my life to the Lord that, you know, uh, it, about, um, about a month later, um, you know, we ended up having some real difficulty in our marriage because the Lord, you know, revealed some things in my past. And my wife, you know, I tell you what, guys, if you have a wife is soundly saved, and she stands beside, and, and really the Lord changes her, 
and changes you, you'll learn what it means to experience forgiveness. And, you know, everything in our life, she laid her life down the altar, I laid my life down the altar. You know, she needed uh, overtime to heal. I said, Lord, I don't care as much time as it takes because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And God, you know, God did an incredible work in me, did incredible work uh, in her, and uh, incredible work in our marriage. We've been married now 21 years uh, this past year, so 20 years of salvation, 21 years of marriage because we got saved just about a year uh, after uh, marriage. And, um, and then I, it was then I could finally, after I got saved, I started getting all A's and B's in college. As I finally, she was like nearly done her master's degree. I now had like, and I, this is when I had one class left to finish that I had failed twice. It was one math class because I didn't have enough foundation in it. And, I, and, I, and, I, and then I started to finally get there, but I, I had this uh, professor. He was actually the men's soccer coach. And uh, I told him at the beginning of the class, I said, here's the deal. And he said, I'll work with you. Let's get everything. You, know, you study hard. You do those. So I had to take the final. It was the only class I needed left to finish. And uh, I didn't think I had passed it. And I walked up to him and I said, I'll probably see you one more time. And he goes, no, you won't. And he wrote on there, C plus, get out of here. <laughs> he did not grade it, but I prayed before I went. And it was, God, it was God showing me after salvation, God says, if you follow me, I'll kick any door open that I need. He said, it doesn't matter who the teacher is. It doesn't matter what the job is and everything else. So then we, you know, we, uh, we continue on with the Lord. Uh, we're at Calvary Fort Lauderdale. We immediately get into fellowship. We start fellowshiping with people. You couldn't keep us out of the place. No one had to tell us to be discipled. Just God just said, boom. I start witnessing to my friends. Whoa, you know. They, they, uh, you know. Uh, I was still bartending and doing an intern. At this time, I was doing an internship, my third one. Uh, uh, and finally, the, you know, I ended up, I felt so bad. I couldn't stay bartending because I would have guys who were drinking like, triple martinis there, and I'm like, I cannot let you go drive that Lexus with a triple martini. Uh, and so I wasn't good for business after a while, uh, so I got out of that and uh, started working at a health club to finish college and uh, witnessed all the guys there and witnessed all my friends and all my routine started to change, and we started to have, uh, you know, just, we saw uh, some of our friends come to Christ. My friend Craig is an assistant pastor today. He came to Christ, and, and uh, over time, God just continued to grow us, and uh, we were fed under the Word of God at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. It was a great place for us to grow, but as we started to realize that someday we want a family, we didn't want to raise kids in South Florida, and the job market wasn't so great for young, we were young professionals at the time, we weren't trying to, I had no idea what God was going to call me to be a pastor. That was not in the, that was not in the vision at that time. So we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where Sarah's parents were in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, we move up there in 1997, and while we were in Charlotte, um, we couldn't find a Calvary Chapel when we got there. There was no Calvary Chapel, so we went to Central Church of God, big church, Loran Livingston's the pastor, really neat place. Uh, he is a preacher, not so much a teacher. He teaches, but he preaches with fire, you know, like, uh, and it was kind of good because God, God gave me a different, uh, it's good when God puts different ingredients into your life and different people into your life. But while we were at Central Church of God, there was no Calvary Chapel, which we felt almost naked without a Calvary Chapel because we were so used to a Calvary Chapel. But God gave us a love for the people that were there. It was a different church, different culture, but, but it really was good for us. Um, 
And uh, at that time, Promise Keepers was kind of a big thing that was happening across the country, and we went to one in Knoxville, Tennessee. And it was at that thing that I got involved in a men's study group, and, and we started having a men's accountability group every single Wednesday. Uh, we started getting together, and God really started to use that uh, to challenge uh, and grow all of us as men. I continued to be discipled, continued to grow. Um, and then uh, at one time, the Lord just put on my heart to check and see um, if there's any Calvary Chapel, and I checked, and there wasn't one still. And then uh, about three or four months later, I had this dream where I saw this little building, and I saw a building behind it, and I saw this guy, and, and, and uh, it, it, him and I were talking, and he showed me, he said, let me show you the bookstore. And I woke up from this dream, and I thought, that's an odd place. It, uh, I wonder where that is. And what, it just really stuck in my mind, vividly, everything in the, in the, in the, in the dream. And then um, uh, two weeks later, one of my friends said, I think there is a Calvary Chapel now. I said, no way, I just checked three months ago, there's not. He goes, no, there is one. And I checked, and finally there was one, and we went and checked it out. And we pulled in that, and I pulled in the parking lot that morning, and we were used to, you had to be early. This was a tiny Calvary Chapel. We pulled in, there was not a single car in the parking lot, gravel parking lot. No, not one car. I was like, service starts in like 15 minutes, there's not a single car here. We sat there for a couple minutes. We're about to back out, and two cars pull in and hem us in. This happens to me a lot at parking lots and churches. <laughs> two cars come in. We get hemmed in. Couldn't back out, so we decided to stay. We ended up, um, it was a really tiny chap- Calvary Chapel. I meet the pastor after the service, and when I walk out the back, it was everything I saw in the dream. The building behind, the little hill. The, instead of the bookstore, they had a little tape cassette area. This is when cassettes, kids. This was before MP3s and stuff. <laughs> cassette tapes and stuff like that were in there. And, uh, and so I was like, I've seen this place. This is it. And then he's talking to me. And uh, at the time, I had, um, I had gone from an entry-level job to I was now working for, at that time for a Canadian software company. I was going to Toronto a lot. I was uh, traveling in different uh, things with them. And uh, I meet him, and he said, uh, well, I'm, I'm the pastor here, but I also have a full-time job. I said, what do you do? He says, I work for Microsoft, and uh, Microsoft had a big 3,000-person operation there, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I said, wow, you do all that, and you do this? It just kind of struck me, not knowing that someday I would do exactly that, but I didn't, none of that clicked at the time. I just thought, so, uh, but the Lord gave me a real love for Dane. He was the pastor there. He had moved from uh, he had got saved at Greg Laurie's church in uh, Harvest uh, Riverside and had moved and planted the church there. Uh, and as the next couple of years we were there, uh, we always felt like we it was just odd for us because a lot of the other people had kids. We didn't have kids. They were into homeschooling. We didn't know about homeschool. We didn't have kids. They were baking homemade bread. We were buying Wonder Bread, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, you know, we, it, all that kind of stuff. But, but the Lord used them to change us and and we learned that the church is not about what you get from it, it's pouring into it. And God took us from this huge place to a small place to learn to pour into it. Uh, I ended up get, uh, starting a men's, men's group there, and then while we were there, uh, Dane, for my first taste of ministry ever, uh, he comes to me and he says, um, I'd like you to go share on Wednesday nights on a rotation, you and he picked three of other, other guys because the little church was growing. We went from like 25 people to like 50 people. And he said, I want you to go to a halfway house on Wednesday nights and share with guys coming out of prison and drug rehab. Really? 
So uh, one thing I learned that Wednesday nights, I learned that Wednesday nights weren't about legalism, about you must be in a Wednesday service, because he sent me on a Wednesday night to go there on a rotation. Some of the Wednesdays I wasn't sharing at the halfway house. I was under his teaching on Wednesday nights. So I would go there. Half the guys would be asleep. That was weird. Half the guys would be asleep like this. Like two guys would listen to me. And all the rest would sleep because they were under mandatory. They had to attend a chapel service because it was a Christian halfway house. And so, uh, But that was my entry. And then uh, a few months after that, him and a couple other guys at the church came to me and said, you know, I, I, we know you're, you're in a business job and we know that God, you know, you've been blessing all that stuff, but we think God's going to call you to full-time Christian ministry. I said, please don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they did say that. And they laid hands on me and said, God was going to you know, call you someday to do that. And uh, you know, around that same time, uh, my wife and I, is about 2000, we were uh, thinking about finally having children, which, which we did. My first daughter, Ireland, was born in 2000. And, and my wife had a, had, a, had a pretty good job with a software company in their HR benefits group. I was working for a Canadian software company. Charlotte's kind of a hub of, like other cities, technology and all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, but she wanted to stay home and I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Ain't no one income thing going on here. We, uh, we need both, you know. And uh, without anyone telling us a couple of years before, the Lord had put on our heart to start tithing. No one, no one ever, I never was beat up by some pastor or ministry or anything to do that. God just said, I've given to you, give back. And so we started doing that. And God over, you know, time would prove to be incredibly faithful in that area. Uh, even when we you know, couldn't hardly afford it, we'd pick people up off the side of the road and, uh, and help them get into hotels. And we were picking up college kids 40 minutes away in Gastonia, North Carolina, and uh, kids that were living in the projects. We were bringing them to church. And God had just all these little things that worked out. And the Lord had just told us, your life, but, but yet God was blessing us in our careers and everything else. And so she was about to get a big promotion and I was doing pretty good, but I was like, your big promotion plus mine, we can do more for God, you know, more, you know. Uh, and, and she, uh, you understand, you know, we can give more to people that kind of way. And she's like, no, I really think I need to stay home with the kids. I'm like, Where? I don't see a verse for this, you know. So, <laughs> but God put it in my heart to say yes. And, and then as soon as I said yes, two weeks later, I had, I had been working for this company and uh, uh, I was doing a partnership thing, marketing partnership thing with Microsoft, a company at that time, mean, Compact Computers. You might remember Compact. They're, today they were bought out by HP. And, t- and, and uh, a Microsoft manager saw me speaking at something and said to, to his team, he said, I want to hire him. And they said, uh, they buy, I bypassed all of their HR process. I bypassed everything that was normally interviewed. And I was hired within two weeks at the exact dollar amount that me and her pray we would need for her to stay home. The exact, I mean to the zero, exact amount. I said, all right, Lord, it's pretty faithful. So we continued to, uh, we continued just to uh, follow that path there. And, and then eventually I was traveling a lot. And, and uh, even though I was still very involved in the church, started men's ministry, the Lord was uh, saying, you know, to come off the road, I, I needed to get a, a different position. So I was, I was almost ready to take a transfer to Dallas, Texas. And then that door closed at the last minute on me. And I get a call from someone I had met once before. Of all places, another Microsoft colleague I'd met once three years early said, 
there's an opening in Richmond, Virginia, which I had lived in years earlier and didn't really want to come back to because I kind of liked some distance. Uh, and yet the Lord said, come back. And so we came back and, and we moved back to Richmond in, in 2002. I took a, took a position there. And, um, and then when we get back here, uh, and we end up having, you know, Marin, our second daughter, was born just before we moved back. We come back here, and Calvary Chapel was meeting at that time over in Robius Middle School, and I meet Pastor Jay, and then uh, within a year, Lord put off Sarah in my heart to start the youth group here, which we did back then, and then uh, about two years after that, not even, maybe 2003, Jay asked me to be an elder in the church, uh, and he knew nothing about those guys laying hands on me in like 1999, 2000. He didn't know that. He just felt like, Lord, I, you know, we need to put you in our leadership here. And then uh, in 2004, I was ordained. He was totally setting me up, and I didn't see it. He, uh, he was being used in, in, a, in, a, in a very sneaky way to, uh, to prepare me to get into a, being a pastor someday. Because so, I hadn't been to seminary and all that stuff. Uh, and you know, things were going well for me uh, business-wise. Uh, I was spent a lot of time in D.C. and then down here uh, with Microsoft that time. And 2008 was kind of a watershed great year for me. And then everything started to go like this. God was saying, it's time to pull you out. It's like I was on a fishing rod or something, you know, just, just reeling me into uh, a change in ministry and... Um, then in 2007, uh, Jay had felt led to go back to California, or, or they were either Mission Field or California, and him and his wife. And he approached me about taking over as pastor, which I did after praying about it and losing lots of sleep because I was like, I have a full-time job. And, but then I remember Dane had done it. Remember back? I had met him. He was doing it. And I was like, if Dane could do it, if God could help Dane do it, and that Dane, God had Dane, and I didn't work for Microsoft at the time. If he could help Dane, I guess he could help me do it. And uh, it was probably, for those several years, hard on my health. I ended up having neck surgery during that time. It was a, try, it was a trying period going through all that. But um, the Lord just made it really clear um, that by 2012, I, I, went to ha- I knew that I was going to leave good year, bad year. I was going to leave no matter what the end of 2012. And I went on this business trip to London, and it was the worst business trip I'd ever had. Everything failed, and it was the Lord told me in that hotel room, you're done. Because at the time, I was being recruited by two other companies, one, Apple, another one, SAP, German company, and, you know, I could have made more money. I had opportunities to, to jump ship and do, you know, parlay all this stuff. I was, I was managing four of the largest Fortune 500 companies in, in, in the state of Virginia, and the Lord said, no, you're done. And I had to put in a resignation, and uh, uh, I was look, looking at my Bible this morning, um, and it was actually back in 2001 that I was, today is uh, June, it'll be July on Wednesday. I was looking at my Bible this morning, Psalm 119, and I looked at my Bible, and I had my notes. This is my old original Bible from 1994, this big, thick thing. I don't normally carry it around. And uh, I, was, I looked this morning in Psalm 119, uh, not verse 60. It says, I made haste and did not delay. I'd underlined it. 7-9-2001. I was at a global briefing with the company, and then I put it there. Then on the 18th, I underlined 
Verse 112, I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever to the very end. And I wrote under this, 7-18-2001, committed to Jesus, taking up my cross. 2001, that was two months before 9-11. On 9-11, you guys know my story on that. The 10th, I was in Cincinnati, Ohio. That night, I was having dinner with a, a Mormon and an atheist and me. And I said, uh, you know, I really think our country is due for a major terrorist attack. The next morning was 9-11, the next morning. And the Lord was always preparing me. And I think that as a, as a believer, we're in a place right now that God's preparing us again. And everything and each step in the way, God was always preparing me for the next thing. And I never would see it until I was looking backwards. I said, oh, that's why. That's why you've had that go wrong. Or this. And they, a lot of the wrong things are not so wrong. They're God's way of making, channeling us and, and uh, just... It was um, abundantly clear that I was to leave, and so I did. I went full-time, and the math didn't all make sense when I left to be you know, fully supported, me and my wife, and you know, what we did. We left, and I became full-time, not in the business at all, uh, September 2012. Uh, and all during that time, you know, I just have found, it, when I talked about the path of grace, um, all during that time I found that People will fail you. You'll fail you, right? Not only will people fail you, you and I will fail you and I. People will fail you. Your companies will fail you. Things will fail you. But Jesus will never fail us. Ever. And, you know, the beginning part, you know, I've had to rush it to fit it all in. But I'm my point of all, all of this is that the Lord, my testimony is continuous, and yours should be too. You should be able to continue to write five years from now, ten years from now, what God is continuing to do. I believe that our best years, remember Titus, the grace that appeared, then it, it actually begins to train us. The same grace that I came into salvation is the same grace that actually takes caused me and enabled me to take new steps of faith. And I'm still taking new steps of faith. I've, I realize sometimes in the, in the time that I struggle with leaving to be full-time pastor, I found God, God doesn't hold any punches. God would say, in my mind, I would know. God would say, you had more faith five years ago than you do now, even as a pastor. When I, would, when I wasn't ready to go, I was like, just give me one more, because if this London trip goes really good, if this goes really good, Lord... They, they won't need to support me. And God's like, ain't going to work that way. This London trip's going to be a fiasco. And it was. And I will look back and uh, the rest of my life, there was good things out of it. Uh, I got to share the Lord with people, but it, it ended up, God was saying, it was his way of saying, it's time to move on. And here's the, here's the thing about it all. I got saved hearing a message that I didn't expect to hear that day. I thought that I'd hear somebody else, and Bob was there. I thought that I was going to back out of the parking lot, and God said, you're not backing out of the parking lot. Stefan's going to be standing right behind your car. I thought that when I walked in, we would just enjoy the service and go home. God says, no, you're getting a message from Revelation 3 that I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. That's not even a touchy-feely kind of thing, is it? It was God's, see, God loves us enough to hit us square between the eyes and say, come to your senses. Come to your senses. Come to your senses. And so when I got saved under the message of the lukewarm church, my whole life since then, 
9-11. It was the night before on 9-10. All the things, even this week, where I showed the Mike McIntosh video on Wednesday night, had no idea the Supreme Court would make their decision two days after we showed that video, because I was showing it in response to the Charleston shootings and stuff the week before. And God is saying to me personally, and I hope to you, get ready, because I'm coming back. All the other stuff is ancillary compared to someday we'll be worshiping him face to face. Amen? And he saved us from sin that we would then reach out to other people. And all of our successes or failures, that is irrelevant at the end of the day. the end of the day will be, God will say, did you do the work of reaching other people? Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. Your grace that is greater than our sin. And Lord, I'm forever humbled that that you came and found me and my wife, and certainly we weren't looking for you. I was convinced there weren't even Christians where we were at. But Lord, you sought me by name and my wife by name, and every brother and sister who is here, you sought them by name. And Lord, if there's one here this morning that didn't expect to be here today, that didn't expect to hear this message, that didn't expect to be convicted of their sin, that didn't expect to thirst for eternal life, I pray, Lord, that you would let them know right now to come just as they are and give their heart and life to you. And I'm before, even uh, as the worship team, just with your head bowed, if there's anyone that wants to give their heart and life to Jesus Christ, just come and stand at this altar right here. That's what I did. Me and my wife did. We came and we stood at this altar, and I'm going to have the worship team play quietly. And it, my heart was pounding out of my chest because Satan was saying, stay where you're at. If you stay on my path, you'll make a lot of money someday. You'll get everything you want. You'll have all the friends. You'll have all the fun. You'll do all that stuff. And God says, but if you come to my path, you'll have eternal life. Because God made no deal with me about what I would or wouldn't get except for one thing, eternal life. The only thing it came down to, the Lord says, do you want to live forever? I remember the Crystal Lewis song, Come Just As You Are. Come and live forever. That was so prominent there in, in 1995. But just with your heads bowed, pray. And I just want to take a minute. If there's anyone at all, just come forward. Don't worry about what other people think. It's way harder in a church this size. I know that. It was somewhat easier with 3,000 people and another 20-some people went forward with us. It's harder here, but it's worth it. It's the same Jesus, and it's the same message of, I want to forgive you. Everything else that you may be chasing in life, everything else that you may be putting your trust in, it'll all come to ashes. So if there's anyone at all, worship team, we'll play for a moment. Anyone want to come and give your life to Jesus, we'll pray with you.